Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoyed the message. Now, as I said earlier, if, if, if hope for this world comes by the transformation of individuals, you know, we'll have a better America when we get better Americans. You know, that, that's how that works, that, that people's hearts are changed from hate-filled to love-filled, um, and that that comes through faith alone in Christ alone, uh, then why is it that we uh, don't tell people about him? We are, we, are, we are starting a series today to focus on that first part of the Dogwood Church mission. We exist to make more and better followers of Christ who love God and love people. So we're going to focus for a few weeks on that making more followers of Christ. And I want to start today by addressing one of the, one of the barriers that you and I have uh, to uh, doing that, and it's, it's apathy. Uh, we have a, if there's this great solution, why don't we share it more? Well, one, one of the problems is that we are apathetic toward sharing our witness uh, for Christ to people who don't know him. Uh, we, we lack motivation uh, to do so. We easily find ourselves apathetic. Hey, I, you know, one, I was talking to a guy one day and he, I said, y'all pay me to be good. You're to be good for nothing. But, uh, uh, but even though I'm paid to be good and you're supposed to be good for nothing, I even, I even find myself sometimes apathetic. I'll talk to you about that uh, a little later. Uh, my motivation for sh- having gospel conversations with other people so that they can experience the love of God in Christ Jesus can be low. So I want to give you at least three reasons today that we are not motivated. Then I want to give you some prayers to pray and actions to take to help you and to help me overcome our apathy toward telling other people about Christ. And here's the first reason we tend to lose motivation or lack it. It's this. Some Christians ignore or misunderstand the commands of Jesus. Now, Jesus does command this. These are not suggestions. In fact, in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go, a command. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said this to his disciples, and he says it to you and me. Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. We are sent people. We have already been commissioned. We are already under orders. We are already uh, sent by God to uh, have gospel conversations with people who do not yet know uh, Jesus Christ. This This is what we mean here at Dogwood when we say that God intends for all of us to live life on mission. We are sent on mission personally, locally, and globally uh, to share the good news of Christ with men and women and boys and, and girls. Now, some people are what the Bible calls evangelists. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, he gives some to be evangelists as gifts to the church. And these are people who are uniquely gifted by God to be unusually good at influencing people to place their faith in Christ and be unusually good at equipping the church members to do the same thing. Um, uh, how many of you think that I'm one of those people? I'm not. 
I don't think I'm a gifted evangelist. Now, I know some, and some are in my church. I'm pointing at them. And can anybody say Pastor Jack Smith? Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Jack, are you in here? Where are he? He's somewhere. Yeah, there he is. There he is. He's back there. Um, he'd be embarrassed that I said this. But, you know, I've been with Jack for years, and we'd stand around, and he'd pick up a menu and read it out loud in a restaurant, and people would run over to him and ask to accept Christ, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Stuff like that stuff just doesn't happen to me. It does to him. It's happened to him his whole life. He thinks it's normal, and it is normal for him. And it, but the, and some many of you that you are you are gifted uniquely at that. And yet, all believers are to be witnesses. We are witnesses. In fact, look at Acts chapter one verse eight. But Jesus said, but you will receive power, power to do so when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my. Witnesses. Now, witnesses tell what they have seen and heard and experienced. And that's what we are all to do. We're to tell of how we are, what we have seen and heard and experienced in our f- coming to faith in Christ and how other people can uh, come to know Him in the very same way. Now, I want you to turn to the top of page 4 in your study guide there. So why, why are we not motivated? Well, sometimes we're not motivated because we have misunderstood the commands of Jesus, sometimes because we ignore them. And that's another nice way of saying we have chosen a lifestyle of disobedience to uh, Christ. So which is it for you? Are you ignoring His commands, disobeying, or are you just misunderstood? Well, that can cause us to have low motivation. There's a second uh, problem with our motivation, and it is this. Many Christians have misplaced priorities, Many of us have misplaced priorities. In, in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, the Lord Jesus uh, said this, The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Unfruitful. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. Things, Ryan, can you give me a little more volume up here or out there? Either one would be great. Thank you. So the worries of this life, what does that mean? Well, you all came here with some worries. Every one of us came here with some worries. Some of them are great big things. Some of them are little bitty things just bugging you. It's like sitting on a tack, just bugging me, pain. Uh, some of them are very important things. Some of them are very meaningful things. Some of them are mundane things. Some of them are mundane things. The cares of this world, the worries of this world, uh, they might be vocational. Uh, it might be a worry about your job, your career. Some of them are relational. You might be worried about a uh, burdened about a relationship that's bruised or broken. I got one of those right now. And it's, you know, it's waking me up at night. It's bugging me. It, you know, and it's just uh, the, the, the loose ends of a broken and bruised relationship. And um, that, that one's worrying me right now. Uh, some of you might are worried about pain. Some of you are sick. Some of you are suffering. Some of you who are here today, I know, are facing life-threatening diseases. And you're, that's a cloud. That's a burden. Uh, the worries of this world. Some of you uh, are worried about problems of all kinds. Some of you are worried about politics. Is Oprah going to run for president? You know, I mean, that, that's the latest uh, this week. Uh, the worries of this life can paralyze our minds... And cause us to be apathetic toward other things like motivation for including spiritual things, including the spiritual condition of other people. 
and their need for Christ. Uh, Sometimes it's emotional worries. Like I've got one of those right now. Grief can demotivate you. I've been grieving the death of my mother and um, that came in November, and I have found myself somewhat apathetic. I wake up some days and just don't want to do anything. And uh, much less, I just, I don't want to think about other people's needs. I don't want to, I don't, you know, I just... What now, why am I so apathetic? I'm not, tip, I'm not normally an apathetic or demotivated guy, but I find myself in the last couple of months being even demotivated about um, sharing the gospel with people who don't know it. So what I'm doing in the meanwhile is I do what we're all to do anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm living by faith, not by feelings. I'm going ahead and doing it anyway. I'm sharing my faith. I'm uh, leading. I'm preaching. I'm ministering uh, each day, and I'm doing it by I'm doing it by faith and uh, regardless of how I feel because, you know, I don't know who said it. I heard it say said one time, but might have been me that said it. It's easier to act your way into a new way of feeling than to feel your way into a new way of acting. It's just living by faith. That's what Christians do. We live by faith, not by our feelings. And so, but grief that may, you may be grieving a loss of a, of, of a loved one, a friend, or, uh, you might've had a miscarriage. You might've lost a child, might've lost a mom or a dad. Uh, and you're in this year of first and you just find yourself, well, I'm just not motivated to do much, anything, including being caring about the spiritual condition of other people. Well, just know it's okay to feel that way. It's just not okay not to do it. And so, but, uh, the worries of this life can cause us to be apathetic Jesus said one time so do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given you as well he also said that the deceitfulness of wealth can be a demotivating factor for us you say what do you mean by the deceitfulness of wealth well the the idea that wealth can can uh, and, and money and material possessions and the idea of having it whether we do or not can has a very powerful uh, uh, ability to cause us to think that this is what's important, most important than anything else in our life. And uh, when money and material possessions become more important to you and to me than Jesus or people, it will have a demotivating uh, effect on our life concerning spiritual things in general and certainly the spiritual condition of other people. Jesus himself said to us in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and money. One of those is going to be your master, is going to be the, 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 your idol, the, your God. Uh, you, just, you, you can't serve both. Either we will use money and love people or we will love People, money, and how did I say that? Did I say that right? I wrote that down somewhere. We will either use money and serve people or we will serve money and, and uh, use people. It's it just, he said that's the way. We can only have one God, one top priority in our life. And when we tend to fall into the trap, say, oh, yeah, if I just, I like Jesus, but then I, also, I need to have this more, a little bit more, a little bit more to cleanse and beautify my life, then life would be we be good when we become willing to disobey God in order to to uh, to make or have more money than money has become our God. That's the way that that works. Jesus said this. 
in Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, he's not saying here, don't be responsible and say, hey, other places in the scripture, he says, be responsible, you know, plan for the future, that kind of thing. What he's saying here is, don't make as your top priority in life. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so the worries of this life can demotivate us. The the deceitfulness of wealth can demotivate us and keep us from... uh, having gospel conversations with people who don't know Christ. But he kind of covers everything else with the phrase, and the desires for other things. The desires for other things. Let me see your eyes a second. Every one of us is tempted. We are tempted by the culture in which we live. We're tempted by our own evil desires in our heart. We're tempted by Satan himself, the scripture says. We're all tempted to desire things other than God more than God. That's our condition. We don't choose our temptations. No one chooses their temptations. Uh, They just come. But they come from those three sources, and, and we're all tempted by all of them to desire other things more than Christ and His purposes. So we face that every day. Let's just acknowledge that. If we don't acknowledge that, we're, we're in trouble. And so the scriptures say in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, I think it's in your notes. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Circle that phrase, set your hearts in your study guide there. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things or temporary things or things down here. That set your heart, set your minds uh, is a decision we make. It is a commitment that we make. God created you and he created me. He created human beings with the ability to choose, to make commitments. And the journey with Christ can be marked with the commitments that we make. And he's saying here, Choose your highest priority. Set your hearts on the things of Christ. Uh, let me just sum it up by saying this way. You've got to stop treating Jesus like a hobby. Jesus has got to be more than a hobby to you. He's got to be more than a hobby to me. He's got to be more than just a nice little thing. Oh, I'm going to add Jesus to my annual personal development plan. Baloney. He writes the plan. He he is either Lord of all or not at all, as the old saying used uh, used to be. And I and I fear that we see. Well, uh, hey, I'm gonna. I got a couple of days off, and you know, I I I practice. I, I play a little golf on Saturdays, and then I've got my little Jesus hobby on Sunday mornings. We're gonna get a couple hours with Jesus and some hang around Jesus people a little bit. And oh yeah, I'm gonna read this. Yes, yes. Let's let's read a verse a day in the Bible. That's really gonna help you take on life. No, no, no. He said to his time, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. 
and take up his cross. That means consider himself dead to all other desires daily and follow me. Follow me. He told his disciples, hey, take my yoke upon you. I mean, sign up, strap in, follow me, learn of me. If you're going to make it in this life and then go to the next, we get to treat Jesus more than just a hobby. I mean, even our kids, we, we, oh, good, let's be in a little youth group and let's have a little, let's have a little dinky Bible study and read your Bible. We just, oh, couldn't you have a, you know, maybe go to vacation Bible school and, you know, just give them a little bit of Jesus here and there. And then they go off to college and they're dying or crashing and burning. Wonder why our kids bail out on a faith because Jesus is just a hobby. No, 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 no. we got to immerse ourselves in His Word. How are you going to tear down all the high and lofty things and philosophies lifted up against the knowledge of Christ in your own heart and life and in the life of your kids if He's just a hobby? You're not. You're not. And we're not going to be concerned about the spiritual condition of other people. If Jesus, if we have Jesus, what's your hobby? Well, Jesus is my hobby. I kind of tinker over here and in Jesus a little bit. No, 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 no. So, Pastor, how do I do that? I don't know, but figure it out. <laughs> I mean, figure it out because we're talking about life and death here. We'll talk about that a little more in just a second if you guys will listen a little faster as we, as we get there. And so we say, well, how do I do that? I, you know, Chris, I tell you, I've been praying a prayer to help me with that because we, don't, we never get this done we're always, we're to, that's why he said, do this daily. Deal with me daily. And so here's a prayer that I, I pray daily. It's one that I taught you to pray on Christmas Eve. You might want to uh, jot this down in your note sheet. Here's what I'd, I'd suggest. You start praying to help you set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Here's my prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to want you more than any other person, place, possession, or thing in my life. But I don't. So help me. Is that an honest prayer? Yeah. If you're not going to pray honest prayers, don't pray them. There's no use. But if you, get, if you can work your way back, again, this is another thing that Pastor Jack Smith taught me 30 years ago, 35 years ago, actually. In a, he said, work your way back until you're honest. Lord, I, you could say, I, I don't want to right now, but I want to want to. So I want to want you more than any other person, place, or possession, or thing in my life. But I don't right now. Honestly, I don't right now. So help me. I need outside help. We do need him to do that. So that's a, that's a, that's a good prayer to pray. That's a good prayer to pray. Start there. So sometimes we're apathetic because of the worries of this world, the, the deceitfulness of wealth, the, the desire for other things. Sometimes we just are because we ignore the commands of God. But there's a third reason we're apathetic, and it is this. Jot this down. Some Christians forget about the fate of lost people. Some, some of us, sometimes we forget just how much trouble people are in who don't know Christ. Who don't know Christ. You know, a young college student said one time to a pastor that I know in a Bible study, well, you know, I, I just don't really see that people who aren't Christians are in that much trouble. Well, let's remind ourselves. Jesus reminded 
uh, some people in Luke chapter 16. And I'm not talking, let me help you, let me draw you back in a little bit. I'm not talking about those nameless, faceless people on the other side of the world in some country that you don't know. And so, oh, the, you know, the unreached people. No, I'm talking about the fate of people you know and you like and you love. I'm talking about your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter, your classmates, your teammates, your next door neighbor, people you know, people you like, people you love. Let's see the condition they're in, what they're facing, what their fate is. In Luke 16, beginning in verse 19, Jesus told a story. He said, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Mm. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Now here's, here's two men who were radically different except for one thing. They had one thing in common. What was it? They both died. They both died. Everyone is going to die. Everyone is going to die. On Monday evening, November the 20th, about 8.15 in the evening, I stood with my wife Allison and my daughter Leanne and her cousins and my two sisters around the bedside of my mother and we watched her die. She quietly slipped into eternity. And it makes me think about dying myself. Makes me think about dying myself. You think, oh, that's so morbid. No, 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 it's not. It's not morbid. It's facing reality. Reality's not morbid. I'm not dystopian. I have great hope about life and eternity. Uh, but it, it helped me face reality again. Yeah, you know, I'm, I have now shifted up. I'm the, now the oldest gener- I'm the oldest guy in the generation of my family. You know, and, and so my time next. You know, we just shifted up to the front row. And, uh, and so it made me think about reality. Now, I have always, because my dad loved to walk through cemeteries and wonder about people, and, re- and so I've always done that. I recommend that sometimes you walk through cemeteries. Maybe go have your quiet time sitting on a headstone of some old boy that's been dead for 100 years. I, I'm, seriously, there's a cemetery on our property, an old, old one. A couple people have been dead a couple hundred years out there. Go down, go down there in the woods behind the place... Yeah, you're going to be repenting before you get there <laughs> if I keep describing it. But everyone, everyone is going to die. And I'm not being insensitive to those of you like me who are now grieving the death of a loved one. I'm grieving the death of, of uh, my, my mom. But everybody's going to die. Hebrews 9.27 says this, Man is destined to die. Both of these men died. Now look at verse 23. In hell where he was in torment... He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Hell is real. Hell is real. Hell is a real place where real people go. People's grandparents go there. People's parents go there. People's sons and daughters and grandkids and friends and classmates 
go there. And hell is a, it tells it's a horrible place. There are three words that describe it there. It says torment, agony, and fire. Torment, agony, and fire. So, well, that's just metaphorical. Yes, and the, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I tend to think it's not, but it could be metaphorical. But if it's metaphorical, the Bible always uses metaphorical language because, because language is limited to describe the extent of reality. And it's just trying to describe as best we can in limited human language uh, reality, the extreme of reality, whether it's beauty or horror. And so... He's using the the most extreme uh, words possible to describe what a bad place hell is. And if this is not literal, then it means it's much worse than what is literally stated. Separation from the very presence of God uh, forever. It's a a bad... Who said this? Jesus said this. These are the words of Jesus. Well, look at verse 25. Abraham replied... Son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Notice here that once in hell, there's no second chance. No praying people out of hell. No, no, there, no second chance. No second chance, according to Jesus. And look at verse six, uh, uh, 27. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham le- replied, they have Moses and the prophets. He's saying they have, they have the Old Testament scriptures. They have the Hebrew scriptures. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, or if they do not listen to the words of scripture, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. When I was in college, I had a friend. He was, he was a friend. And uh, he liked me. He loved me. I liked him. I loved him. We were just good friends. And um, uh, he, he'd wear this T-shirt every now and then. And, you know, he knew I was a young Christian, and he'd kind of tease me about it every now and then. He's good-natured, but he'd tease me about it every now and then. And, and uh, he'd come show me his T-shirt, and he'd say, I'm going to party with my, all my friends in hell. There's no, there's no party in hell. In fact, this passage tells us that people in hell are, are, are desperately hoping that their friends don't come to this horrible place. They're wishing... They're the, people in hell evidently are the most highly motivated people to share the gospel that exists. And they can't do it. I think I'm safe to say that the motivation to share the gospel is greater in hell than it is in Dogwood Church right now. Certainly is in the pastor's life. Because they get it. The rich man got it. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, somebody go tell my brother. Somebody go tell my... 
Send somebody to tell my mama. Send somebody to tell my daddy. Send somebody to tell my son. Send somebody to tell. Please. Not come to this horrible place. God uses the gospel, not miracles, to save people. Here's his plan. Take a look on the screen. People who know Jesus telling people who don't know Jesus how they can know Jesus. Now, I hear you flipping your papers back and forth. That's not in the notes. That's just me. So just write that down. This is God's, this is God's plan. People who know Jesus telling people who don't know Jesus how they can know Jesus. That's what we do. That's what we do. And so what are we going to do about this? Well, if we, how, how am I going to overcome my apathy? How are you going to overcome your lack of motivation? Whatever got you there. Let me give you a couple of uh, steps and two prayers. And, um, and then we're going to pray them. Here's the first thing. Jot this down. Decide to obey the Lord in witnessing no matter how you feel. Remember, we live by faith. And obedient, not, not by feelings. Don't wait till you feel like obeying. You obey Jesus. And your feelings will catch up with that later on. The, decide. You have the ability to, I'm going to obey. Now, you might, like me, you not, might need a prayer to pray to help you with this. And so here's a prayer I'm suggesting. You're going to have to write this one down. I didn't include it in the notes. Lord, I want to be willing to obey you in witnessing, but I've not been willing to obey you thus far. Help me. So help me. Is that a good prayer? Lord, I want to be witness. Some of you might be saying, I don't even want to want to do that. Well, then back it up another want. I mean, keep going back until you get to the want that's right. Lord, I want to want to be willing to obey you in witnessing, and I have not done so thus far, so will you please help me? That's a good prayer. Choose to obey and then work your way into that obedience. Second thing is this. Ask God to give you a love for people, for lost people, people that don't have him, don't know him, unbelievers. One, one writer that I know always prayed this, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Uh, a prayer that I've prayed here for this uh, is this, Lord, today would you give me a love for people who don't know you as much as you have, as much as I can bear and survive it. Because I, I, you couldn't survive it, I couldn't survive it if God put the burden that he has, how much love he has for people who were shaking their fist in rebellion against him, who don't know him. Uh, we couldn't live, we'd die, or we'd just perish if he did. So I pray, Lord, would you place in my heart a love, a care, and a concern. A, a, you even use the word my grandmother used to use, the word burden. Would you give me a burden? See, that's my problem. I don't want any burdens. Do you? No, no, no. I was right. I talked to a young lady this week. It was her husband's birthday. They've got two two young children, one, one preschooler. And it was her husband's birthday, and they'd had a birthday breakfast before everybody went off to work, and the kids had had a great time with cards and that kind of thing. And, and uh, they were about to wrap it up, and the youngest, the little bitty one, looked and all of a sudden said, I want it to be my birthday party. I said, well, he just diagnosed the condition of the whole human race. 
I mean, that's us, isn't it? Isn't that our, isn't that our problem? I want it, uh, we all want it, I want, I want it to be my birthday party. I don't, I don't want to feel bad. I don't want there to be concerns. I don't want, I don't want to feel, I don't want to, I don't want to be burdened for somebody else. I got, what's that called? It's called selfishness, self-centeredness. God delivered. So we have to pray for it. Lord, would you be at work in me? Would you give me your concern, your burden for people who don't know you as much as I can have and not and, 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 and survive it? Is that a good prayer? Now, you can pray with confidence. I got a, I got a verse for you here, and it is this one. Philippians 2.13. I think it's on the screen. Look at it. Read it out loud with me. Ready? In good voice. Here we go. God is working in you to help you want to do and be able to do what pleases Him. Wow. And so, since we know from God's Word that this is what He wants us to do, and if we are praying and asking Him to do it in us, we can pray with confidence because His Word says that He is working in us to help us to want to do and to be able to do what pleases Him. So let's pray and ask for it. Join me. Let's pray. Why don't you ask Him to do that in your own heart? Pray these prayers. And then I'm going to pray for you before we sing. So, Lord, I want to pray for, uh, for myself and for all of my brothers and sisters in the Dogwood Church family. I pray that you would help us to want to want you more than any other person, place, possession, or thing in our lives. But we don't right now, so please help us by your grace. And Lord, we want to be willing to obey you in witnessing. But we've not been willing to obey you thus far. So please help us. And Lord, we've not had a concern for people who don't know you. But we want to love people who don't know you. We want to have a burden for them. We want to have a concern for their well-being and that they need their spiritual condition. But we don't yet. So would you please help us? Would you fulfill your promise in Philippians 2.13? Would you be at work in us to help us to want to do and to be able to do what pleases you? And we give you thanks for these things. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.